Let's not play pretend here. With power comes an abuse of that power. It doesn't need to be gambling on human suffering for personal profit. It can be as simple as suggesting you should be seated first, or get a discount just because you have a specific job. If you've earned respect, those things might just happen. But as my expert today explains, asking for that special treatment may not be simply immoral, but actually illegal. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Debbie Peterson. Debbie was the first directly elected female mayor of Grover Beach, California, and is the author of The Happiest Corruption, Sleaze, Lies, and Suicide. The title alone should give you enough reason to listen to this episode, if nothing else. An important note, this episode relates to local, smaller government. It's not about how messed up our Congress and Senate can be. I'll have to find a different guest for that topic, as well as how governments function in other countries. Anyone with experience or a recommendation can reach out to me at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Also, sorry for the less clean than normal audio on my end, This new studio space is turning out to be a lot more work than I had originally thought it would be. Nevertheless, I'm fixing it, and it shouldn't give us any more issues going forward. This is a lofty goal, but let's end government corruption. Welcome to the show, Debbie Peterson. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, it's so exciting to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. I am Debbie Peterson, and I am the former mayor of a small town in California, the city of Grover Beach, actually. And um, prior to that, I was a council member for, well, seven years altogether, and, and also a planning commissioner. And um, both the council member and the mayor positions were elected positions, and I turned out to be the first directly elected mayor of the city of Grover Beach. The first, I should say, first directly elected female mayor of the city of Grover Beach. Congratulations on that. What got you involved in politics in the first place? Well, I hated politics. I still hate politics. I think, like many of us, um, I was uh, I lived abroad for twenty years. I lived in in Great Britain, and so I couldn't vote because I wasn't a citizen. I voted in the the United States elections, um, but I didn't couldn't really be involved politically in in England or Scotland. So I really had very little to do with it. And then I moved back to the United States to this small city where I had family. I wanted to raise my son in in a small town, and um, my neighbors were saying, oh, Debbie, you know, you've got a background in public relations and the city needs some help with that. And you have done some redevelopment work and you have um, been entrepreneurial and launched businesses. And we think the city could really use that. Would you run for office? And um, I thought, well, yeah, I could. I have a degree in PR. And and um, my company at the time that I sold it 
was pretty much the same size as the city. We had the same budget, the same number of employees and sort of the same number of different buildings and outlets and locations. So yeah, I could get my arms around that and we could use some help with redevelopment. And so it really wasn't a decision to get into politics. It was a decision to serve my city. And I thought, well, you know, we all ought to do something sometime and really serve our community. And and um, this will be what I'll do. I'll do this for 10 years and and then I can um, then I can start to write, which is what I'd been wanting to do. Once once my son got out of college, I wanted to spend more time writing. Yeah. And that's an interesting way to think about it that I have never heard or considered at all where you're saying like, yeah, the city's budget and size was relatively close to my company. And it's like, oh, that's actually pretty common to have like a budget in a very small town that does not exceed what a good sized business can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the reasons I was able to help was because of my business experience, because I, I could read a budget. I knew what the bottom line should look like, could look like, what norms were, what back best practices were. And so I had that business background, which um, I felt put me in a better position to to really be helpful and to work with um, other council members in the community uh, to come up with solutions when when we had some there are always some difficult problems that come up and you have to find ways to to um, be attentive to the needs of more of the people the majority anyway at least so you have to try to find solutions that that the minority can live with and the majority prefers. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people get into it and, you know, even with the best intentions, they're like, oh, I want to, I want to help my city. I want to help my, my community. And I think I'm a good person. And so I should be a good fit for this. And you're like, but do you have experience with budgets? Do you have experience managing people? Because there's a lot of that. There's a really big learning curve. And um, that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book that, that, got us talking first, uh, and then the second book in the series, um, because it's one of those things where there's no job description. I think the the state of California requires three things of council members. <laughs> and um, it, it, so there's no actual description of what you would do on a day to day basis. And it differs whether you're in a small town or a big town. And um, nobody really gives you any idea of how meetings are run, why they're run that way. And you don't know that you're going to take an oath of office. And what does that really mean in real terms? And so um, it's very difficult because you end up being in this position and you're very knowledgeable about what's going on in the community from that position. But you don't always know what your roles and responsibilities are on boards. And you certainly don't know um, the huge number of laws that that all have something to do with all of it <laughs> yeah of course and i want to get into that but first like i want to take a step back what is it like to you know run for a council position what's the process like for that it's i'm glad you asked that because that is the first step and um for me the first step was be to be appointed as a planning commissioner and so i had 4 years and i chaired the commission for 2 so i got to know the community i got to know how meetings were run i got to know the open government laws i got to understand robert's rules of order and how meetings would progress and why they would progress that way when i could say something when i shouldn't say something you know when it was the public's turn to speak and and who i could address who i couldn't address and um and now going into all that oh yes what was it like running for office so 
in terms of running for office, I would always suggest that people volunteer for a committee in their community or get involved in some way in the community before they run for office. Um, you'll be a much better representative if you've had a chance to figure out how it all works a little bit before you're actually running for office. Running for office itself, of course, is it's the same process no matter what level you're at in many ways. And in other ways, it's very different. So the amount of money you need to raise, of course, is hugely different on a local level. I think the most I ever raised for a campaign was $3,000. And that's all I needed for some signs and and some t-shirts and you know a few mailings that um, that was enough. And uh, of course, when you're on a national level, it's <laughs> millions, billions even. Uh, and... Um, and the main thing in terms of running for office is having an opportunity. First of all, you have to know your platform. Why are you running? What is it you want to do? And um, and it needs to be a platform that you're sincere about and that you can have some influence on. Um, a lot of times what's happening at a local level is very different than what happens on a national level and your ability to legislate for it when you're in a city, you're legislating things that go on in the city. So if someone says, well, how do you feel about nuclear war? Well, frankly, how I feel about nuclear war has nothing to do with the decisions I'm going to make on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, do we, do we hire or, you know, do we change the way the trash is collected? That's, you know, these, at a local level, it's very practical. So part of it is knowing what you do and can influence and, um, and where you should focus your attention. And most of all, it's knowing what it is your community wants. What do they want you to do? What are they concerned about? What do they need? And and in my case, we had a terrible problem with our streets. And um, every person who ran for office for probably 20 years promised to fix the streets, and no one did. <laughs> so I didn't promise to fix the streets, but I fixed the streets. <laughs> And um, so I think a lot of it is knowing what it is people want and um, and working with the other council members to figure out how to deliver that. At the end of the day, we're public servants. Yeah. And I live in a pretty small town. I've seen like, you know, years where our ballots come through and there are entire positions that don't have anyone running for them. Is that common or is that just like a small town problem? Possibly yes and yes. <laughs> um we certainly had times where nobody where nobody was opposing. So, you know, we had two people running for two positions and and um we never had times where there was nobody there unless somebody um moved out of town and had to resign. Um, then we needed to do an appointment. But um I guess it can happen. It's never happened where we are. And I would encourage people to step up. Gosh, if you know, the problem with a campaign is you don't know if you're going to win or lose. You spend a lot of time. You spend a lot of money. You spend a lot of effort. If you don't have to do any of that and you could just step in and serve your community. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a relief. Go do it. <laughs> so, if yeah, empty vacant spots are disappointing because um, if you don't fill those spots and you're going to leave it to the council to fill, then you, then you really don't have representation. People haven't decided who they want there. So I would really encourage people to step up in those situations and, and uh, take up those positions. That's scary. Yeah. I think part of it is just like you said, there's a lack of information out there about it. And so people see these open positions and they're like, well, do I have to pay to sign up? Is there 
like, do I get paid to do this position? Is it volunteer? How many hours do I need to put in? Because I work a normal job. Is this one of those things where, like, suddenly I'm leaving my job because this is a full-time gig? Or is it, like, a couple nights a week kind of a thing? In most cases, um, I think in smaller communities, at least in my county, San Luis Obispo, California, planning commissioner was about 10 hours a month. And it was one meeting a month. So that pretty much most of us could handle. Um, city council was about 20 hours a week because you're not just going to city council meetings every other week. Um, there are other events, you know, there are Easter egg hunts and there are <laughs> Christmas tree lightings and, and, um, but also council members sit on a whole lot of different committees throughout the, um, throughout the community, the countywide. And so you may be sitting on a sewer board or you may be sitting on a water board and, and, and usually the council members or the mayor between them figure out who's going to, to be on what committee. Um, but there are responsibilities to sit on other boards and they can meet usually once or twice a month and you can have five or six of those so you could end up having a couple of meetings a week sometimes in the evening sometimes they're during the day and um it is for the most part i i would say to people consider it to be a volunteer position um at the end of the day you are representing other people you're not there for yourself you're not there for the income you're not there um you know to to pull money in for yourself you're there to to be a steward of of the taxes that people pay uh, to provide services to them. So um, it I was paid three hundred dollars a month for well from twenty to nothing on the planning commission, um, and then three hundred dollars a month, no expenses, no benefits at all. Didn't it didn't even cover my cost to drive around the county to go to other meetings, but um, uh, three hundred dollars a month for I don't know from two thousand and eight until twenty nineteen. So I worked at that, did that for all that time. And it was a, it was a huge sacrifice because I'm a real estate broker and I wasn't able, I, I still worked full time, but I wasn't able to um, work in, in to the extent that I could really build up my retirement fund. So I'm still working <laughs> because, because I, I uh, dedicated myself to the community then instead of to my retirement and so people have to take, you have to consider, do I have that time to put in? Am I, is, am I willing to give that amount? And, um, the other side of it is that it is a lot of fun and it's very interesting. You meet all kinds of people that you wouldn't have met before. You, um, always know what's going on. You know, when it's kind of fun, if, you, if you're one of these people who likes to know what's going on, which most of us do, um, you it's, it's quite enjoyable because you know what's going on. And um, and then, it, it, you know, there's a real sense of fulfillment in working with other people to make things better and and to serve other people. It, it's it's very rewarding. Uh, I, I loved it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the idea or at least like the hope that we all kind of hold about our government is like the people getting involved are getting involved, not for the wages and not for, you know, whatever minor fame or glory they're going to get, but because they genuinely want to help people. And apparently, according to the psychologists, I've been writing um, a blog for psychology today and, um, and I'm thrilled to be doing that because I have no psychology qualifications. I have a degree in communication and a short course in entrepreneurship. But um, I just love 
the whole psychology of it because it's really understanding it's important for us to understand how to change society how to change people's opinions how to um how to help people come to terms with things that have to happen that they don't like and why are some people um you know why are some people as you said uh, better fitted than others and and according to the psychologists the latest thinking is that there really are and this is all in the last probably 10 years there really are two different kinds of people who run for office. They're the people who run because um, they're the kind of people who think that if you do something, it should be bringing benefit to you. And then there are the kinds of people who think that when you do something, you should be bringing benefit to the community. And you want the people who want the benefit for the community because that's what the job is about. And that's how it was originally intended when, and that's how it's intended in any democracy, wherever you are in the world, that, um, that your role is, is to be of service and to steward the, um, steward the safety and, and the health and the, um, even the happiness of, of your community. Well, and when I hear you say like, you know, I made the sacrifice and I was not, you know, I wasn't even covering my own expenses to do this job. That was, that's deeply touching to me because that's what I like to hear from that position is I'm like, wow, somebody who was willing to, you know, give up their time and energy just to help people and help their community. Like that's really impressive because that's what I think of that position mm-hmm. is I'm like, yeah, we're not taking this for fame. We're not taking it for fortune. We're not taking it for whatever benefits come with it of like, Oh, I get to sit at the restaurant first. Like there's none of that. You're just, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm here to help. And I might have to work longer on other jobs just because I did this, but that's the sacrifice I want to make for everyone else around me. Yeah, I am. Um, and sitting at the restaurant first, sometimes you, people will treat you with deference. And of course, everybody likes to be treated with deference. We all, we all appreciate that. Um, the interesting thing on that is that you can't demand it. It would be illegal to demand that. And I remember one time my, it was actually my treasurer for some of my campaigns said, you know, I was in the local hardware store and and the mayor's wife was there. It's not me. I don't have a wife. And um, she was asking for a discount and they said, well, the sale is over now. Sorry. And she said, oh, but I'm the mayor's wife. And that's illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is illegal because you're asking for something of monetary value for providing a service. And that was even one removed. <laughs> it wasn't even the mayor asking for it. It was his wife. So, but that's illegal. Interesting. Is there a lot of, I mean, you, I know you said earlier, there's a lot of laws and rules and, you know, just processes you have to learn. Is there a lot that's probably pretty surprising to people out there? There is a lot, and if they don't take the time to learn it and understand it, um, they'll get in trouble, and they'll get their community in trouble um, because they'll end up spending money. They'll end up spending the community's money, tax dollars, on legal fees, which is not not best practice. And um, uh, one of the things that surprised me a lot from business when I set up my own board of my own company, I I would before board meetings, I'd work with them and talk with them about how they felt about things. And we'd talk about the issues and we'd pretty much resolve, okay, this is pretty much where we stand. So when we get to the board meeting, we're going to rubber stamp it and we're going to put it in the minutes and it's done. It is absolutely the opposite, opposite in government. You 
cannot talk to the majority of the people prior to a meeting about anything that's on the agenda or coming up on the agenda in the near future. You can talk to, if you have a five member council, you can talk to one other. But if you talk to two others, then you've already discussed the, the community's business in a secret meeting or in a private meeting. And everything has to be discussed and decided in, um, in public in front of the public with an opportunity for the public to participate, to present their views before you make a decision. And if you think about that, it makes perfect sense because um, if it's a decision for the community, you need to hear their input. You make up your mind before you hear your input, then you haven't listened. <laughs> so you have to listen first to the community and then you talk with the board and you figure out what you're going to do in public, not in secret, and um, and then you vote. And um, uh, but there should be the opportunity for your decision to be influenced by what the community has to say, but also by your conversation with the rest of the board, because you may find that the rest of the board, the rest of the city council, um, has some input that's really helpful that you weren't aware of. And that might influence the way you think. And so um, it is it is not wise to form strong opinions about things without first having the opportunity to hear from everyone. And and it's it's something it's interesting. I've had a couple of people say to me recently, oh, I really like so and so because they just went in and they just took over and they just told everybody what's what. And I said, well, that's nice, but that's not democracy. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, you can do that in your own company. You it, Maybe you should in some case, many cases. It's your money. But in this case, it's not my money and it's not your money. It's the community's money. And you don't have a right to to do that. That's that's not how it's set up in a democracy. So um, I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, yeah. The rules and the regulations that are different and the laws. That's probably the main one. The main one is that you can't have secret meetings. Um, and that's one that, that very often I found city managers would say, you know, everybody's going to be a little uncomfortable about talking about this. Oh, we'll just do it in closed session. We'll put it under such and such and call it closed session. Well, that's illegal. <laughs> that is not how it's meant to be. There are only a very few things that you're allowed to do in secret. And those are things uh, like if you're selling some real estate and you need to negotiate or you have a lawsuit and if and to talk about it publicly could compromise the city's position um and it, or if it's an employee matter would, th those obviously are confidential but those are about the only things that you can ever discuss secretly um and not hash out thrash out in front of the public with their input yeah that's very interesting to say like no you have to do these things for the you know the open communication aspect to say like everyone mm -hmm. has a voice they are supposed to be represented and we are a small enough size that we have these meetings where people can show up. Mm -hmm. I don't know how large Grover Beach was. Like I said, I live in a pretty small town. I've never been to any of the meetings. Is it usually like quite well? Well, my biggest thing the whole time I was involved from the time planning commission to the city council was encourage, 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 encourage people to come, encourage people to say what they think, even if they just watch it on TV because we video every meeting um, or watch it after the meeting. Um, and now, of course, a lot of it's being Zoomed and they can participate differently 
through through the Zoom process or through calling in. Um, and often there aren't too many people there, but I always made sure that we got as many as we could to every single meeting and that if people had something that was of interest, that they came and they spoke during the appropriate public comment period to say, hey, this is under your purview and it's an issue and we want you to know about it. Doesn't We can't deal with it then because it's not on the agenda and it would be um, unfair to the rest of the community to suddenly take something up without letting everybody know about it so that they had an opportunity to participate. But um, um, I, you should go, you should go. Cause it's interesting. Cause you're going to find that they, they'll be talking about something you think, oh yeah, you know, I do have an opinion about that. And, and they might be able to do it better if they did this. And very often I feel like we came up with better decisions because people came to the council meeting who'd been thinking about it. And sometimes they had solutions that were really helpful. And, well, I won't, I'll stop there on that. There's lots of other stuff too, but I would say go to the, I really encourage you to go. It's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like opens the forum to discussion. To where well, like... and the other side of it is if you don't tell your elected representatives what you want, what you'd like them to do, how it feels like on your street, looking out the windows from your house, turning the corner at your stop sign. Um, if you don't tell them that, they they can't really know because they're not you and they're not there and they can't be omniscient. They're not God. Um, and again, they're volunteers. So they really need, we need um, people to come and tell us how they would like us to represent them. What would you like it to look like in your town? Uh, if we're making a decision about X, um, is there something else that's really more important that you'd prefer that we do with our budget? Um, it works better when we do that. Yeah, and it's hard to hear people say like, "Well, I'm not being represented if you don't go to these meetings." <laughs> like, you're not being represented because well, no. no one knows you have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are certain things that are common to a community that we pretty much all know. This is what the people want, and and that's pretty straightforward. And we sit on other count, uh, county committees, and then we should be voting. Um, the way we believe that the people in our community would want things to be um, and voting in their best interest, representing them in in any on other boards. Um, I think the other thing that I hear a lot is, you know, people are mad at government. Well, when you're mad at government, you're mad at yourself, because at the end of the day, it is our government. It is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And if you're one of the people who isn't happy with that government, then it's time you got in there and did something about it. Um, and and people can do that in lots of different ways, and they do it in lots of different ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't like government, that's your fault. Go fix it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if we do see something where we're like, I absolutely don't like this. What can we do to kind of make changes? Well, th th and that's an interesting one, too, because I'm saying speak up. And when you're talking about a city with, in my case, 13,000 people, one person who speaks up can't change it for a lot of reasons. One is one person shouldn't be able to change it because we're not an autocracy. And it's not about me or one person. It's about the community. And so if there's something that you see that's a problem, that really is a problem, um, do a little research, find out maybe why it's a problem. Sometimes there's simply no money um, or sometimes it's been thought about and considered and, and the way it's happened is has been done for a good reason. So first find out a little bit more about it. 
Um, and then um, find out if other people are concerned about it. Is the most important thing is 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 the community as a whole. And so if it's something that a lot of people are really concerned about, then absolutely um, go along, get them all to come with you to a council meeting and there'll be an opportunity for the public to speak about things that are not on the agenda, but are under the purview of the council and that they can do something about and and go and tell them, look, this is an issue. We'd like you to put it on the agenda. We, we, we think that it needs to be addressed. And, um, and then hopefully they will. And if they don't, then you go back with more people and you keep going back with more and more people until they listen. And it so it is about numbers, but it's also about the individual and it's it's about protecting. It's about going the way of the majority, but protecting the minority. And even if you're one person or even if you're the minority with a view on something, when you express it, it helps everybody else to know about it. And it can influence the way the decision goes, even if it doesn't go your way, you can have some influence to mitigate whatever the things you're concerned about are. So no matter how you look at it, you, you should always go speak up. And yes, you know, it's certainly fine to go speak up on something that even only you have seen, um, because maybe it is something that others will then pick up on and be interested in. So it was a long winded answer. Um, <laughs> but no, hopefully I, it's helpful. Yeah, I think it's very direct where you're saying like, you know, if you're if you are one person, you can still say something and you can go to these meetings and you can talk out loud and other people will hear you. And if it's a something that really speaks to a larger group, more voices will join you. Mm -hmm. Because there may be things that like are absurdly specific to you and no one <laughs> else feels that way. So you might be standing by yourself in some of these cases and that might be a self-reflection point. But, you know, the other thing that we kind of came on talking about is as you got involved, you ran into some, you know, corrupt goings on that weren't just the mayor's wife in a hardware store. No, that was the least of the problems. Um, actually, as soon as I was elected to the city council, a former mayor came to me and said, Debbie, there are problems at the sewer district and you need to go in and sort them out. I had no idea. <laughs> so I said, well, let me see what I can do. And so I checked into it and it turned out that there were some very severe problems. We had whistleblowers. We had a, the biggest uh, sewer flood they'd ever had. Um, it, it, it was a mess. It really was a mess. And unfortunately, the mayor who was involved at the time insisted on controlling everything and did not allow anybody else to get a look in. And um the law stated that it was the mayor who sat on the sewer board and so nobody could get him off. And so until I was elected mayor, I couldn't deal with that. Um, but as when I was elected, I started investigating and I, I read there'd been a lot of different reports written and they were scathing and there were whistleblowers. And so I, I read a couple hundred pages of reports and I uh, looked at what the grand jury had to say, and I looked at what some investigators had to say, and a lot of the things that were problems had not been resolved. And so um, because I had been a management consultant after I'd sold my company, I was able to go to take a look at it, and and I, I'd run a manufacturing counter, a company. So sewer district, you know, sewer plants, manufacturing, one thing goes out, something else 
one thing goes in, something else comes out. That made sense to me. And I could, I, I, so I took the accounts and I uh, did some analysis. I did some analysis of the reports and I pulled that together. And um, I really didn't want to believe that it was as bad as it was. And I, I, but that was there in black and white. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would think, no, 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 this can't be going. This is a really wonderful little community. It's a lovely area to live. Everybody's happy. This cannot be going on. This can't be true. And that's how most of us think. Nobody wants to think bad things about their nice little community. And, um, but every time I, I would say, well, wait, wait, no, I have to go back to the numbers. It's all there. It's there. It's in black and white. I cannot deny that this is here. And in fact, to do so on my part would be unethical because I know. And um, so I finally, it took me a long time, but I convinced the board to let me present my findings and um, invited the press and media. And, and there were a lot of people who came because there were a lot of people very unhappy with everything going on. And um, the man who'd been running it for 25 years and self-dealing, um, and I can say that he was convicted of self-dealing. Well, he was charged. He did a plea deal. But anyway, um, and we fixed that. But what I had done was I had asked, I, I had a contact who was new, the leading United States investigator, government fraud investigator, Carl Knudsen. And he's the one who took down Oliver North in the Nicaraguan um, arms drugs dealing thing. He was in charge of that takedown. And he was also was the one who coordinated the team, the cross Atlantic, the whole uh, the transatlantic team that um, took down the Colombian drug cartels that were money laundering. He did all of that. And so he knows more about it than anybody. And I convinced him, I told him what was going on in our little, in our little County. And he was horrified and he was so horrified that he actually said, okay, I'll work for you. But of course it wasn't for me. I had to convince um, the, the sewer board to let him come do an audit. And that took three years and about a hundred members of the public coming to meetings and demanding that it be done. And when he did, of course, then we ended up with a conviction. And um, But what he told me was something I had no way of understanding. He said, that, Debbie, this is going to be deeper and wider than you can possibly imagine. It, this isn't just one little sewer plant. This is going to go deep and wide and you, you just can't, you won't be able to believe it. And I didn't even know how to conceive of that. I took it on board, but I didn't know what that meant. And I'd never seen corruption like that before. And so I, um, I, I, I bore that in mind and he was right. And we managed to, to sort out a few other things, um, another agency, but it didn't get completely finished because the book is a long story. But if you if you look at um, the happiest corruption, sleaze, lies and suicide in a California beach town, that's my story of what happened and how we fixed it. And some other communities that found and fixed corruption and how you do it, because it can be done. You can beat City Hall. And then I, I just to follow up, I wrote City Council 101 for city council members. So if you decide that you want to be in there and you want to serve your community, uh, it will fast track that. And I I have a, another course and I'm telling you all this because there's no way I can do all this in, a, in the time we have today. But um, I have a course called Double Dias Adventures in Local Government. And that one combines it all and just says both sides of the dais, whether you're sitting up on the at the board table or whether you're in the audience, um, here's how we can work together and how we can fast track it. So that's an online course too. 
So if if you're you're getting kind of interested in some of the things I'm saying and you think that you would like to serve your community either as an active citizen or on a, on a council running for office, then um, those will get you there a lot faster with a lot fewer mistakes and headaches. You'll you'll be able to do more faster. Yeah, and I'm I'm not quite sure what like self dealing is, but ah. you have a a hell of a title where you said you know the happiest corruption sleaze lies and suicide. I'm like wow, okay. Those are heavy. I did it on purpose. Yeah. I called it that on purpose. It, and it, it is all there. And I'll explain a little bit more. But um, what I wanted to do was to get people's attention. Because people don't understand that if they're not paying attention, they can have the same situation in their community that we had in ours. And it's because people aren't paying attention. And that's how you fix it is by paying attention. And um, And the reason it matters is because it hurts you our our sewer rates have gone up 10 times what they were they're 10 times what they used to be and it's because of the corruption nobody paid any attention and so now uh, our disposable income is less and also because of the corruption funds were being diverted and we didn't have any rehab beds in our community but we have a huge homeless problem which is mostly people with addiction or mental health problems that need rehab beds uh, we didn't have any mental health beds either so um, that 95% of the people who are homeless could have been helped, but there is nothing available. And it's because there was no money available and there's no money available because a lot of it was going places it shouldn't, probably a third of it. And that's a, a millions of dollars that could have helped us. So we don't understand that it's hurting us when we don't pay attention. And it hurts us badly sometimes, um, very badly, it kills people. Well, and that's a very... That's not a way that I would have thought to otherwise look at it. Like, oh, my sewer rates went up. Like, okay, I guess sewer rates went up. I don't know anything about sewers, so I'm not thinking about it. But you're like, as it keeps going up, you're like, wait, where is this money going? And is a third of it going to the wrong place? Like, that's a, a big chunk. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, my rates have increased a lot. If a third of this is going somewhere, like that's a lot of money all moving from everyone's pockets somewhere it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so self-dealing is that second kind of person that we talked about who's in um, local government or who chooses to go into government. That's the people who say, well, I'm in this for myself. If you do something, you should do it for your own advantage. And self, the self-dealing in this case was um, someone who was the administrator of the sewer board who also had an engineering firm and had his engineering firm do all the work without putting it out to bid. And so that he was dealing business to himself through his position as a sewer board administrator. Um, it's or conflict of interest. You could also call it a conflict of interest. Um, the reason I called the book, the happiest corruption is because in 2011, Oprah came to our town, our County seat. And she said, Oh, San Luis Obispo is the happiest county, the happiest city in America. And um, it is a really happy spot for lots of good reasons. There's lots of open space and parks and weather's always pretty good here in California. And at least when you're at the beach or close to the beach. And um, and so it it is happy, a little place. And it is a wonderful place to be. And it had and still has um, corruption that was off the scale. And we all have it to some degree, of course. Some have 
really well-run communities and some have really badly and most of us have something just the other side of the middle um and if you don't pay attention though it can it, people who are opportunists will take the opportunity and and we ha- and it's up to us to guard to protect ourselves from that and um the happiest so that's the happiest corruption side of it and then the sleaze lies and suicide in a california beach town well it's a california beach town i'm at <laughs> and um there was a lot of was a lot of sleaze and there were a lot of lies and in the end there was a suicide there was a county supervisor who was taking bribes and um doing all kinds of stuff the guy who bribed him is in jail right now and um and the supervisor when the police um or when the fbi raided his office and his home apparently attempted suicide and then some months later when it when it was clear that that the fbi were going to be making charges that he was caught and caught in some other sleazy things too he uh he committed suicide wow so that was what that was what was reported out to the public wow and it seems like I don't know if it's the news that we're hearing about it or if there wasn't coverage on it before, but it seems like we hear a lot about, you know, corruption and people kind of, you know, looking out for themselves in our government, at least here in the U.S. these days. Do you think it actually is getting worse? It feels like that. It feels like that to me. And I think it feels like that to a lot of people. I tell myself, and I don't think I'm rationalizing, I'm trying to be sensible about it, because rationalizing, rationalizing is not helpful. Um, I think that, of course, the more you hear about it, it might be the better. Because when you hear about it, then you know what's going on. And it's better to know what's going on and, and to be able to deal with it from a position of knowledge than to continue to get ripped off. So sometimes just the fact that you're hearing more reported might be that people are being more diligent, either either you know law enforcement or citizens, or it might be that they've gotten away with it for so long, they've stopped being careful and they got caught. And that usually happens. Eventually, that usually happens. So um, it's hard to say if you're hearing more about it, is that a bad thing? Maybe, but it might be a good thing too, because you can't deal with something if you don't know about it. Um, I, although I, I will say that when I was in office, I have a friend who's who grew up in China, and um, she said the things you're talking about are what we were hearing in in a communist country. It's the same stuff, and that's really scary because as, when I was growing up, we always thought America doesn't do things like take bribes and and um, you know we don't do that. That's other countries. That's third world countries. But we do that and we do it far too often. And um, and as long as we think we're better than everybody else, we're going to miss. We're going to find out the hard way that we're not. And um, the other then I had another friend who's Ukrainian who, when I would tell her the story, said, this is the same kind of stuff I heard when we were growing up in Russia in Kiev, when where she came from, when they had the nuclear explosion at Chernobyl. For three days, no one told them what was going on, and they were forty miles from this nuclear, brick, you know, explosion. And um, I, I think that scares me to death because when someone like that says to me, 
this is just like it was at home and home was a communist country. I think, oh dear, <laughs> we really have to get in there and sort this out. Yeah. And I know it's kind of a large question and, you know, obviously it requires a lot deeper thought and more participation out there. But do you have some ways that you would like to see government change to become better? The biggest single thing that any of us can do that I would like to see, and, and my mission really, the reason I'm spending so much time on this, is um, is for people to get involved at a local level. Um, because at the end of the day, if it's a government of the people and by the people and for the people, well, we're the people. And... Um, it, and everybody can get involved differently. We all have different gifts and skills. We don't all need to be the mayor. Uh, we don't all need to be the whistleblower. Um, some of us are really good at, at uh, you know, helping with Easter egg hunts <laughs> or uh, serving on the Parks and Rec Commission. Some of us are, are very good at speaking and can speak during public comment. Some of us cannot ever do that and maybe should not ever do that. Um, but we can go to meetings. Because just showing up, just being present, the people you elected know that you're paying attention, that you're watching them. Um, and that in itself can be a really big deterrent to corruption. So if all you are is a, a warm body on a seat, that is huge. Because if you have an issue that's really important, you may have 10 people who can speak well about it. Uh, but you probably need a hundred people there and that's a hundred bodies and seats and there's not time for all hundred of you to talk anyway. So I, I think just showing up is, that is a really good first step. Go to meetings, sit in a chair and pay attention. You know, if it's, if you get to a boring part, take your book to read or, you know, take your laptop with you, get some work done, but show up. That would be, that would be my primary goal would be to have people start to pay attention. Yeah. And there's a bit of a ripple effect to this as well, right? Like if your small towns start, you know, smaller communities start showing up and they start making things better for their area, like those progressively getting better areas will spread farther and farther. And then you are having a larger effect that you didn't even know you had. And other people will learn from you because when you do it well, other people will take what you've learned and, and learn to do it well. And the other thing about that is at the local level, there are things that are important to your community. You're going to communicate them to your council and your council will be meeting regularly, hearing regularly from um, people who are working at the state level and because they want to know what your community wants, but they can't talk to everybody, but they can talk to the mayor, they can talk to the council members, they can talk to the various um, committees and find out. And so... Um, the what your community wants can be pushed up the line that way and also when when you are able to identify um trustworthy public servants to elect um often they start out on a city council or a board of supervisors and when they're good there um you can they'll often run for higher office so you can end up having people who really understand what it's like right down there at the ground level um representing you at a state or even a federal level um and and that is the the way to get good honest people in government is to do it locally where we actually can tell if someone's an honest businessman or not 
you know, you know whether the real estate broker that's been there for 25 years doing a job, you know whether they can be trusted, you know whether they're competent, um, and you know whether that they're kind of people you'd want to represent you, that you would be proud to have representing you. Um, you can know that at a local level. Yeah. Well, I think we've given people a lot to think about, and I know I have you for a short time period here, but I've appreciated your time immensely, and I wanted to make sure I gave you the chance to tell people where they can find your books and where they can find everything else you're doing if they want to follow up for more. Well, thank you. Um, the books are part of an Integrity 101 series, and the first one is The Happiest Corruption, Sleaze, Lies, and Suicide in a California Beach Town. And um, and then I've got the follow-up one, City Council 101, Insider's Guide for New Council Members. And those are available on Amazon. And it's really easy to find them on Amazon because if you just Google or Google or go to Amazon and, and search for happiest corruption, both those two words, happiest corruption, they'll all come up. And I do have a third one coming out, which is going to be called How to Beat City Hall. Um, and that will be for everyday people, how they can uh, get involved and make a difference. And um, because people think you can't beat City Hall. Yes, you can. You can beat City Hall. You just need to know how. And um, then the course is Double Dias um, Adventures in Local Government. And that you can, the easiest way really is just to go to my website, debbiepeterson.com. And that's D-E-B-B-I-E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. And if you go to debbiepeterson.com, it will link you to everything that you might want to find. And you'll find some blogs there and, and other things. And then um, Psychology Today, uh, I'm I'm writing there too. I'm doing a blog. And, and that always has really helpful information. Um, I, I write about women, corruption, government, and happiness. <laughs> so if any of those interest you, um, they, there's some really interesting psychological studies around how to do all those things well too and why. So awesome. just go to debbiepeterson.com or Google happiest corruption. Yeah. Awesome. And if people find it, especially if they're on Amazon and they're picking up your books, the best thing I always tell people to do that they can do to help you and to help others find these books is to leave good reviews because good Huge. reviews is how the entire algorithm works. It's the only way we find stuff. It's Thank very you. And and I say to people, look, if if this matters to you, if you want good governance, if you want other people to know about this stuff, then go in and give the book a good review <laughs> because that will get the message out. And it's one of those very simple things that most of us can do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really liked it, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening from for more episodes every week and check out the over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or by sending a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. That's it for this week. Enjoy your weekend, and I will see you all back here on Monday. Buh bye bye